From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. Our overall mission is to grow a variety of food that is adapting to the changing climate. Today on our show, we visit a permaculture farm near Unionville, Indiana, and learn about an integrated farming system growing food, building community, and connecting people to the land. We also hear about an aquaponics project in a middle school. And Harvest Public Media has a story about changing land values near urban areas and what it means for farmers. That's all just ahead in the next half hour, so stay tuned. Renee Reed is out this week, but we have news from our partners at Harvest Public Media. The Trump administration says the president will sign a phase one trade deal with China this month. But as Harvest Public Media's Christina Stella reports, many in agriculture aren't sure how to interpret its limited details. Brad Lubin, an ag economist at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, says a tariff ceasefire is good news. But so far, that's all the deal seems to be. There are still big picture questions on the table that says this is not a free trade agreement with China. This is one agreement to forestall the the escalating conflict. But Wendong Zhang of Iowa State University says that wouldn't be much of an increase over pre-trade war numbers. He'll judge progress by whether tariffs continue to loosen. China buying 40 to $50 billion of ag product is the easiest portion of the trade deal. The significance is this is the first time we have seen tariffs actually go down rather than keep going up. President Trump confirmed this week phase two negotiations will start soon. Christina Stella, Harvest Public Media. Though meat alternatives have been in the news a lot this past year, people are still eating a lot of beef, both in the U.S. and around the world. As Harvest Public Media's Amy Mayer reports, that could be good news for the cattle sector in 2020. There's a cycle to beef production. Iowa State University livestock economist Lee Schultz says at the current point in that cycle, the number of cattle should be leveling off. Traditionally, that would mean lower prices. But as he looks ahead to predictions for 2020, Schultz sees better prices than the ones today. That's certainly setting up that that we could you know, continue to hold inventories or not see, you know, very large declines or liquidation in the cattle herd because of those supported prices in the horizon. Schultz says export sales grew by double digits in recent years and a bit more modestly in 2019. The new trade deal with Japan and the likely implementation of a new North American agreement could keep beef exports strong in 2020. Amy Mayer, Harvest Public Media. With the holidays behind us, maybe you're wondering what to do with the wilting live tree in your living room. You might think about repurposing after the ornaments come down. Here's Harvest Public Media's Dana Cronin. Every year, more people are recycling Christmas trees versus throwing them in a landfill, according to the National Christmas Tree Association. For some trees, that means being tossed into a lake. They become fish habitat for uh, bass and perch and stuff to spawn in in the spring. Bill Inks sells Christmas trees at A.B. Hatchery in Bloomington, Illinois. His unsold trees end up at the bottom of the appropriately named Lake Evergreen. Local governments are providing or looking for alternatives like this, says Doug Hundley with the Christmas Tree Association. They want to take all of the compostable or easy-to-biodegrade products out of the waste stream. He says people are also chopping up trees for firewood or turning trees into mulch. I'm Dana Cronin, Harvest Public Media. 
And that's news from Harvest Public Media, cultivating stories from the ground up. Find more at harvestpublicmedia.org. Across the Midwest, most farms are tucked in for the winter. Some growers are still harvesting from low tunnels, hoop houses, and heated greenhouses, but production generally slows down for the winter. In 2018, I had the chance to visit a farm with a holistic vision founded on the principles of permaculture. Sobra Mesa Farm is located in south-central Indiana, just outside of Bloomington. The farmers, Juan Carlos Arangu and Robert Frew, had a larger vision in mind when they started their farm over six years ago. Robert Frew shares the story. That really started with one person, and that was Lucille Bertuccio. And she was a guiding light for us in understanding the importance of land conservation and caring for wildlife and for an appreciation of, of native plants. So through her, we started this journey of really recreating ourselves and deciding that, hey, we could probably do something more than what we were doing with, with, instead of just a backyard habitat, why don't we create a very large piece of land that's a habitat that grows food and has animals and that we can uh, also create this sense of community around us. Well, we, we love food and community. I, I come from a Latino culture, which is very important to be connected with people. And food is one of the best things, you know. And that's why also we named the farm Sobremesa. In my culture, after you finish eating, you stay at the table and chatting, you know, gossiping, things like that. And that's like Sobremesa, that's what we call Sobremesa. So that's why we are growing all kind of food here and connected the food with the community. So we have the market here, events, we have guests coming. Also, we, we thought it would be unique. We learned them from the Amish. Is you go to their farms and they harvest for you there. And that's what we do here at the market. People come and we harvest for them. They see the produce and they can choose. I want that. A tomato, and it's a good way because the food becomes something else, not just a item. It has history, love, sharing information, and you get to know that person that is eating your food. So it's it's really great. So you haven't already harvested for the market. It's as people come, you you might just go out into the garden and pick things. Some of the things we do harvest early in the morning. But we have some chairs, so when they come here, they breathe and they wait, or they come with us. So it's it's an adventure, I would say. You need your time, and that we also they meet other people who are, you know, 
buying stuff from us here. It, it's, it's an event, I would say, too. The market's on Sunday from 11 to 6, and we open the gates at the road and put out signs and um, wait. <laughs> I think that it's a, a way for people also to better connect with their food because they meet the farmer, they see how it's being grown, and they see the, the entire ecology of the piece of land around the food. We wanted a central feature at the farm, and we decided since we were both into refurbishing and uh, salvaging things, that we would find a barn that was going to be torn down that we could rescue. So we found one up in Dyer, Indiana, and we hired a Amish crew to disassemble the barn, put it on trucks, and bring it here and reassemble it in mostly the same way that it was with a few alterations. We got together with a sound engineer from IU who suggested that we uh, remove one of the lofts in the barn that had originally been in the barn, and then to eventually create a solid surface floor, which would help with better acoustics in the barn, because our goal was to have concerts there and um, different musical events. events. Yeah and really to help educate people, which again, this was part of the mission that we're carrying on from Lucille, and to help people connect with a piece of land, to understand the heritage of farms in Indiana, and in the case of the barn, the importance of conservation, of preservation, of an important piece of architecture that really roots us here. Sobra Mesa also offers two lovely Airbnb spaces and they host campers, interns, and woofers, people who travel to live and learn on organic farms. And they've connected with the local elementary school in Unionville. They have a really an amazing idea for the whole school and theme. It's called Earth. And they have a garden. I mean, that school is amazing. And we prepare a workshop to create a, a mound. It's a Hugo culture is the word that you use in Germany, but it's pretty much like a big rice garden using some materials you have right there on your place. And there were 60, 60-something 60 kids. And they were fantastic. Oh, we loved it. There was a seven-year-old who came to me, I could do this for the rest of my life. And that really was the best, yeah. So what, so they built the mound? We showed, so we divided all the kids in three groups. The ingredients we had was branches, paper, soil, cardboard. So they, so they all went through the whole process. They used shovels and old tools, wheelbarrows. They, I mean, they, they work Incredible, yeah. I told one of them, you're hired, yeah. Because they didn't want to stop. They went on and on, yeah. They also hosted students from Unionville for a program called Reimagining Opera for Kids, presenting a food-themed opera in the refurbished barn. There's so much happening at Sober Mesa Farm. Too much to cover in one episode. But we'll check back with Robert and Juan Carlos later in the show to hear about why they keep a special type of fowl on their farm. So stay with us.
Production support comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Resch Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at 812-336-6838. Twenty nineteen has been a tough year for farmers. Fortunately for landowners, farmland values are stable across much of the Midwest, but close to cities, encroaching development throws in a growing challenge for landowners and urban farmers. Harvest Public Media's Amy Mayer has more. Oh yeah, I feel good. Tika Bandari accepts a sample of lettuce grown in Des Moines in a plot of land Lutheran Services in Iowa secured for immigrant farmers. Bandari says she and her dad wanted to grow ginger, the backbone of his business in Bhutan. But her dad passed away before they could make it work. Almost three years, I'm growing some gingers in my greenhouse. I think my dad is looking from up and he is proud of me. But Bandari doesn't know where she'll grow her crops next year. We are losing land. Zachary Couture is the land and production specialist for LSI. I actually just came from that other site in West Des Moines. Um, that was sold. Uh, they're going to build a parking lot on it. Throughout the region, farmland near cities is growing houses, restaurants, and parking lots. On the northern edge of Ankeny, a suburb of Des Moines, Lavon Griffune has been witness to the creep for decades. She lures sheep toward her with corn in a bucket. A housing subdivision is visible just east of where we're standing. To the west, directly across the gravel road from her home, a large sign announces the coming of a mid-American energy substation. When Griffune and her husband bought some land in 1982, they were still almost three miles from Ankeny. They paid $1,200 an acre. Now, land near hers is going for eight to $10,000 per acre. If a developer wants it, it's twenty-five to 50000 depending on how big a chunk he's buying. People sometimes comment that she could be wealthy if she sold but she already feels rich. She says people around the world can only pray for such fertile ground. Probably most of them don't even know such land would exist where you can plant a seed and it's going to grow. So it's ridiculous to be putting ticky-tack little houses on that. She's resolute. She will not sell, no matter the price. Perhaps paradoxically, now that the farm is close to people with money to spend, the family's expanded into direct-marketed meat and eggs, in addition to row crops. Griffune's children plan to continue the family farm. One exception, for 20 years or so, they've rented a small piece to Hmong farmers to grow vegetables. Lutheran Services hopes to forge a similar long-term relationship for displaced urban farmers like Tika Bandari. West of Des Moines, Bob Winchell is the executor of his late wife's estate, which includes 25 acres of farmland. I'm responsible for um, seeing that her wishes are carried out so that whatever happens to it uh, in the future, um, it's maintained in agriculture. And that's the reason that um, I contacted SILT. That's the Sustainable Iowa Land Trust, a nonprofit committed to preserving farmland. 
Silt connected Winchell with LSI, and some of the landless farmers have been out to see his wife's fields. Winchell had the land appraised and says in the decade or so his wife owned it, It has shown almost a 300% increase in the value of the property. That value considers something Winchell won't, selling to developers. Annual land surveys in Iowa, Nebraska, and other Midwest states reflect this development pressure. Iowa State University economist Wendong Zhang conducts the Iowa Land Values Survey. He says intentions don't really factor in. It's because your proximity that you, although you are currently in crop uh, or livestock production, that you have the potential to be developed into uh, urban development. That will be translated, capitalized into the land market. Back in Des Moines, Zachary Couture closes the gate on a fence that LSI will try to salvage. Maybe next spring, some of the immigrant vegetable growers will reinstall it on Winchell's 25 acres. Amy Mayer, Harvest Public Media. Learn more at harvestpublicmedia.org. Sustainable agriculture comes in many shapes and sizes. In Louisville, Kentucky, middle school students are learning about one system involving fish. Producer Taylor Killo brings us the story.
As promised, we're back at Sobra Mesa Farm. Juan Carlos and Robert have an integrated approach to farming. No component of the farm works in isolation. For instance, they've planted a pollinator zone near the road with native flowers attracting bees, insects, and birds. The birds keep the cabbage moth caterpillars off the broccoli and kale. Systems work together. They keep chickens for eggs, but they also contribute manure. They scratch up the soil in the garden beds and keep bugs under control. But the ones that are totally, totally out, working and making noises, it's the guineas. They also keep guinea hens. The main gift to us is they control ticks. We used to have so many, many, many hens. Now we have less because of them. They wander. They can't be really contained. They, they are free spirits, I'd say. <laughs> they even go to the neighbors and we have to uh, try to bring them back here. But then do they come in at night to have shelter? We did train them to go into a coop, but essentially their food and water, for the most part, they get out on the land here as they're wandering around and, and eating a lot of ticks. Yeah, I would just think that predators would be a problem if they're out wild, but maybe they've realized that it's good to come inside. Um, yes, they know that, yeah. It, it, like last night, for example, I was busy emailing people about the market on Sunday, and it was already dark. They were calling, hey, come, close the door. <laughs> so after I closed the door, they were totally silent. This is the house of the guineas, and now it's time for them to come out. The guineas are black with white speckles. They're larger than chickens with almond-shaped bodies and tiny heads colored bluish white and red. 
They're quite striking. As we walked around the farm, I noticed the guineas in the tall grasses, stretching their necks to the tops of the stalks. And that's antiques love to be on top of the grass, so... So that's what they're eating. They're not eating the seeds. Mm-mm. No. I noticed one of the birds making a lot of noise on top of a large covered bale of straw. So they, they like to go on a high spot and tell the others that everything is fine. So after that he will go there and another one will come here, another <laughs> spot. That's amazing. They're really cool looking. Oh, I love them, yeah. They're noisy. They are, but they're so fun to watch. The way they run, they play. It's like, it's like kids. Oh, yes. They chase each other, and you think they are going to kill each other, but so they go, they're very close, so the other one, ah, so goes back, so this one goes again. Hey, no, come follow me again or chase me again it's like they could go on and on and on <laughs> and their babies are so cute have oh, you seen the babies no i don't think so yeah <laughs> they look like a little chipmunk so you said you don't eat the animals but do you eat eggs oh yes yeah and what about the guineas do they lay eggs they do yeah they have a short period they start like end of April until September. That's it. We collect the eggs and we sell them at the market. They're really rich, especially if you... Are they if smaller? They are smaller, yeah. But in comparison with a chicken egg, they have a bigger yolk. Oh, okay. Yeah, no much of the white. So for baking, yeah, they're great. Juan Carlos says the guinea eggshells are hard as a rock and light brown in color. We have photos of the guineas, and a few other shots from Sober Mesa Farm on our website. So be sure to check it out, eartheats.org. Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Special thanks this week to Robert Frew and Juan Carlos Arangu, Michael George, Riley Stansbury, Brianna Woods, and all the aquapunks at Western Middle School. Production support comes from insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at 812-336-6838. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio. And Elizabeth Rue 
enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net.